take your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've begun looking at verses 1 through 3. Let's read these first three verses and then ask the Lord to teach us. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to understand the importance of this text. Help us to understand and discern. Help us to be men and women who test it. Let us be as Thomas, when Thomas said, show me the scars. Father, uh, help us to understand this uh, and understand the urgency and the abilities that have been given to your people and the urgency that it is for your people to exercise the supernatural powers for others. To your pleasure, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen. We began this last week because there is an importance here. This is an amazing text when you really truly think about it. I want to clear up some stuff as we jump into this thing so that we're all on the same page and we're not saying, well, Terry said, because I want to go by what does the Bible say, all right? The Bible says in chapter 1 of this book that this body of people were lacking in no gift. That's the phrase that is used. That's the term that is used. They had no ability lacking them to be a church. Okay? In your text that we just read, you will see that it says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Gifts should be italicized in your text because it has been added. It is added to give us the idea of what is being said. It literally says there, now concerning charisma. Now concerning spirituals. And that's what he's starting to deal with. And he starts out of chapter 7 because he says, Now concerning the things you've written me about. We want to know about spiritual gifts, Paul. It would seem that since you've left, some things are happening, and we want to make sure that what is going on is the spirit of the living God. But I need to take you back just a little bit because you need to understand something that is going on in this church. Chapter 11, verse 17 Okay, don't drop your context when you're studying spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is not chapter 12. Please understand that. We all want to talk about spiritual gifts, and you'll hear people teaching on spiritual gifts, and they'll say, but in 1 Corinthians 12, let me tell you something. Spiritual gifts is laid out in chapter 12 through 14. And if you take it out of the context of 1 Corinthians, you'll end up places that you really should not be. All right, verse 17 of chapter 11 says this, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now think about what it just got said there. Paul saying the gathering of this church is no good. Now think about that for a second. When you come together as a church, it's not a good thing. Now think about what he just said. 
We all claim that we need to come together as a church and be unified. He's saying when you guys come together, it's a bad thing. Okay? Let me, let me give you a little illustration. Let's say we live in Corinth. Okay? And it's the holiday season. So we have some non-believing friends who came by and they're going to celebrate with us. And we're going to take them to church. The first church in Corinth. We go cruising into the church because you need to be on time because this is the action in the town. All right, there's only one church in Corinth, and this is the place. If you want to get a good seat, then you need to be there early. Okay, so we arrive about 15 minutes before worship service gets there. When we walk in, we find out that most of the well-to-do people, the wealthy people in the society of Corinth are already there. And they normally have a love feast, a potluck before church. And then you, when you get there, you find out that all the wealthy people, because they have the ability to kind of shun work. I don't have to be at work at a time because I'm a business owner. They've already eaten all the good food. And then you see the poor people who start coming in. They come in a little bit later. They come in at, on time, but they're late. Then you start noticing it would seem that some of these people who have been here for a while may have been just a little bit tipsy, a little more egg and not enough nog. Okay, and they're celebrating Jesus all over the place. And then they start calling the thing together because the poor people who have come in, there's not enough food for them to have for the potluck. But don't worry, we'll find something for you. But we're going to have a word now from the Lord. And you start getting people standing up and just speaking anytime they feel like it. Some of them are speaking in foreign languages. And they're just talking. And they don't wait for one another. They're just doing it. And they're doing it randomly. And they do this for the whole course of the worship service. People just talking any given moment, any given language, anything they want to say. You leave the worship surface, service and you walk outside. What is your unbelieving friends going to think? What a bunch of idiots. Right? Let me tell you something. What I just described to you is the church in Corinth. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to explain. There's supposed to be union here. There's supposed to be unity here. And I shared with you last week that the church is a living organism. Okay? It is a supernatural being existing in a natural world. It, it is that way today. The church is based on the word and the Lord and the church. You cannot separate the three. You can't. Listen, we're doing it. We're doing it today and shame on us. We walk from here and say, I love Jesus. I don't like the church. You cannot separate the church from Jesus Christ. I love Jesus, but I ain't reading the Bible. I always get convicted when I do it. You cannot separate the Bible from Jesus Christ. Okay, what? I, I've got a book written by Dr. Stephen Olford. It's called A Contemporary Message for Contemporary Church. You know what the book is uh, about? It's an exposition. 1 Corinthians. Never has the letter of Corinthians been so appropriate than in the church in America today. 
Because what I just described to you as a church in Corinth is the church in America. We're speaking out of turn. We do not consider others more important than ourselves. The body of Christ is unified, period. Don't ever think that it's not. What's lacking in the body of Christ is an understanding of spiritual gifts. That's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, right? I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And yet I would ask this day, how many spiritual gifts are there? Which are the most important gifts? Let me ask you a really pointy question. What's yours? Can your spiritual gifts change? See, if I don't understand that the church is the manifestation of Jesus Christ, how will I ever understand this? Do you understand that the spiritual gifts are powers that are not natural? They're not based on your abilities. Let's say you're artistic. Okay, You have the ability to, to, to paint or create or whatever it is artists can do. Is that a spiritual gift? My wife plays the piano and the guitar and just about anything else she picks up. Is that a spiritual gift? Oh, wait, it helps in worship, doesn't it? Okay. So I would have to say, as ignorant as the church in Corinth was on spiritual gifts, I would say that today the church in America is, I'm not sure that it's equally I believe we're worse because the church in Corinth did not have the New Testament. We are doubly guilty of what our spiritual gifts. Understand that it's supernatural. Listen, if you have a person who's a good speaker, is that a spiritual gift? John F. Kennedy was a good speaker. One of the best speakers ever to walk the planet who could literally captivate. He had an ability. He literally could get up and be quiet and draw in anticipation the whole audience. And they said they used to speak. It was not uncommon for him to speak to 50 to 100,000 people in a given time. But he had this thing that the people who would teach you public speaking, you never do is give silence. But he would get up there for even at times noted for five minutes of silence. And he says the people would be in in raw anticipation of what he would say. And they said that he was probably one of the greatest speakers who ever walked the planet Earth. You know what his name was? Adolf Hitler. He could literally stir a crowd into a frenzy. Is that a spiritual gift? Is that a spiritual gift? What if you have talents? I remember... That we said that the person who would be ahead of the accounting of the, t- t- what do they call it? The treasurer for the church should be in some kind of financial institution in the secular world because they'd be able to handle it better. Is that a spiritual gift? That's why we got Stephanie. She hasn't got a clue. <laughs> Everything she does is miraculous. <laughs> so, just kidding. What are they? What is it? When a spiritual gift, what is it? I mean, what does it look like? How many are there? How many do you have? How many do I have? Do you only get one? How do you get them? How do you know what they are? Can you seek certain gifts? How can I understand the purpose of the gifts? What are the miraculous gifts? Languages, healings. 
What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and is it different than baptism with the Holy Spirit? What is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Does every Christian have the Holy Spirit? Are all the gifts still working? Did any of them stop? If they stopped, why did they stop? Can they be counterfeited? Can they be used in the flesh? Which gift is the most important? Okay. Those are just questions they're going to be looking at in the next few weeks, months, years. Okay. That's what I want you to think about. Well, I've got your first point on your outline says the importance. Do we really understand? I'm going to look at two importances. One is a positive important. I looked at that last week. That was the church. Listen, if the spiritual gift is not at being used, being utilized, then the church absolutely has no abilities whatsoever. None. Zilch. Why? I mean, we can do a marketing program. We can do a stewardship drive. We can do whatever else you want to call it. We can do a revival. We can do um, uh, an evangelisting blanketing, uh, evangelistic explosion. We can do a faith challenge. I can do all those things. But if the spiritual gifts are not being used, nothing works. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean, listen, if the church is not about making crowds, you've got to get over that. We believe today that a successful church is a crowded church. That says Jesus is a failure. He picked 12 disciples, one betrayed him, and all the rest forsook him. He didn't do very good at all. He only had 11, and they were half-hearted at best. You're telling me that the prophet Jeremiah was absolutely of no effect. Why? He couldn't get a crowd. He couldn't get a crowd. Listen, when Jesus was feeding everybody for free, he could get a crowd. What should we do? Wiener roast, beer and brats. We'll get a crowd. We'll get a crowd. Is that what you want? Is that a spiritual gift? Nope, it's not. Let me give you some background on Corinth. I watched a show last night on uh, the Spartans battling the Persians at Thermopylae. And the king of the Spartans had gone down to um, a city to hear the Oracle of Delphi. Anybody know where the Oracle of Delphi is? Corinth. And he went down to find out, how's this battle going to go? And they went through the whole thing, and it was pretty accurate, actually. When he came back out, the oracle had to, would speak in a language, and then you'd have a priest or a priestess would interpret what was being said. And the, the response was this, either the Spartans will be destroyed or the king of the Spartans will be destroyed. Can we go back in and get another answer? Okay, and that's if you, some of you know your history, 300 Spartans went and took on 250,000 Persians. Okay, they were slaughtered. Okay, but don't ever think that it wasn't successful. It raised the country and the country fought back. But 300 Spartans took on um, 250,000 Persians and they think conservative numbers were 50 to 60,000 Persians were killed by the 300 Spartans. 
Okay? But the king died. But he went where? To the oracle of Delphi, which was in Corinth, to hear it. In the middle of this city, God had planted a church. Okay? A church in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 says that was lacking in no gift. God had done powerful things in this city. Okay? Paul had established this church. He did it on a second missionary trip. Uh, and he was there um, about 18 months to establish this church. He strengthened this church and he put leadership in place. Okay? But this letter, if you look at the letter, you'll hear this word, epistles. Okay, the epistles are the little letters in the New Testament, and they are each written to a church or church leader, and they all have some situation or plural situations that they are dealing with. Paul had left this church, had gone on to Ephesus, and some problems had come up. The problems come up, and they're always the same even to this day. It starts with a spiritual problem, and it'll end up as a moral problem. This church was dealing with this. But it starts with a spiritual problem. They lack no gifts. And yet, here's what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. Why? God's doing some stuff here. And it was obvious that they were having some confusion in the church on the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. How about today? In the body of Christ today, is there confusion on the Holy Spirit? What does He do? Let me ask you a question. I want, you're going to reason with me today. We talk about psychology. We get people in situations, okay, who deal with issues. Okay, and it can be, there could be a physical problem, right? Why does the same um, fix it work? on lost people as it does saved people. Where's the Holy Spirit? You ever reasoned that? Okay. That's the kind of stuff that we... Is there confusion on the Holy Spirit? What is it He does? What does He do with a Christian after they're saved? Is there a second baptism? I think the key to it is, and I kind of made a little note of this, what does godliness look like? You know, I was thinking about Elijah was walking and a lady, the lady built a room for the prophet. And she said when she saw Elijah go by, her comment was, there goes a man of God. How she know that? Did he have a little thing on the back of his sweatshirt that said, man of God? Okay, maybe he had a, a, a fish sticker on his mule. How did it, he was wearing a cross? How do you know that, it, that that's godliness? How do you know what godliness is? Because let me tell you something: the person of the Holy Spirit, when he manifests himself, he's not invisible. He's not invisible. Is speaking in a language of godliness? I mean, is that? Ooh, look, that's godly. How about healings, miracles? Okay. Experience, does experience validate godliness? 
I know what it is. It's enthusiasm. When a person is really enthusiastic, you've seen them. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. They got to be godly. Why? Because they're, they're holding up their hands and they're, what? It sounds like a pep rally. What was happening in Corinth is happening today. We take things and we call them miraculous and it brings attention to who? To the person who's doing the miraculous or to he who does miraculous? In Corinth, there were show-offs. There was divisions because This church was struggling with an issue that I guarantee that every single one of you in this room has to deal with. Look at chapter 3. Verse 1. Okay, now I want want you to hang into this thing for a second. Let's look at what he's saying. I'm going to deal with the importance of this because last week I dealt with the positives. I want the body of Christ. You should have an overwhelming passion in your whole of you that the body of Christ would work in the abilities of Christ. The church is supernatural and it should be functioning supernaturally and it is done through spiritual gifts. And we looked at that last week, but today I'm going to look at the negative side. Okay, here's what he says. Brethren, I do not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to what? Men of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, You're not able. You're still fleshly. For since there is, look at the terms that he uses to describe fleshly. Jealousy and strife. You know what strife is, right? Bickering. They didn't talk to me. I seen the preacher the other day and he didn't wave at me when I drove by. Okay, they sing too long. They sing too short. He preached too long. He preaches too loud. He preaches not long. I've never heard anybody say he's never preached long enough. That'd be one of the miracle things. Anyway, you're not walking like, are you not what? Walking like what? Mere men. You hear about revivals all over the place. What we're doing in the lands of Russia is amazing, isn't it not? And it's miraculous, is it not? And we say there's a great awakening. Where? In in India and and in Russia and and in Africa. Africa has been on a great awakening for as long as I can remember. You know, at some point you're going to say, well, when are they going to get up and walk? I mean, if you're woken, you should get out of bed. Okay? But, but see, it's stuff like that. All right? Let me ask you a question. Is the Holy Spirit here? What's he doing in America? He's building mega churches. Is he really? Is he really building mega churches? Big churches. Big, 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 humongous. Okay? In Corinth, the Holy Spirit had been doing amazing things. Amazing things. And you know what? He was still at work in Corinth. All right? He was there edifying the body in unity. 
still working. Okay? Then I have to ask myself a question. I get back over to chapter 12. What's wrong? What's wrong? Well, we could say, well, it was carnal. It was fleshly. It was fine. But there's a problem. Isn't there? There is actually an ignorance of the spiritual gifts. And yet this was a church that lacked nothing. Two terms I want you guys to pay attention to. Okay, because the two terms are being exercised extensively today in the body of Christ. All right, I'm going to give you the Greek terms, and they were used uh, a lot in the secular Greek, but I I want you to use them. First one is ektasia, and the second one is etheismos. Um, E k s t a s i a ektasia. You know that word. Ecstasy. Ecstasy. Okay, it's a drug. No, no, no. It wasn't then. Ecstasy. Okay. And the other one is E-N-T-H-U-S-I-A-S-M-O-S. That's the word we get enthusiasm from. Ecstasy and enthusiasm. Okay. What you know as defining them is different when they were originally written in the Greek. Okay. Because historically, remember when Paul was in Athens, okay, and they had all those altars all over the place, and there was an altar to an unknown God? There was a big movement still today, still today, has always been for thousands of years, and it's called the mystery religion. It's huge. Had a largest impact on uh, the Greek culture and the Roman culture was a thing called a mystery religion, and it was based on enthusiasm and ecstasy, ecstasy. Okay, those two. Think about your worship services today. When a person says he's worshipped, how does he know that? There was a lot of enthusiasm, wasn't there? A lot of enthusiasm. So we must have worship. What is enthusiasm based on? The flesh. I felt it. I felt it. We had a guy come into town a few years ago. It's been a number of years ago. And he didn't come here. It was in another church here in Castle Rock. And he claimed to be a prophet of God and that his job was to stir up the Holy Spirit in the saints. Okay? One of the guys from this fellowship says, I'm going to go over and see it, and we'll see what's going on. And this guy went through one of the worst ways of dividing scripture I've ever heard. I, I, I got the tape and I've since, I don't know where it's at. So if you want to hear it, whatever. Anyway, this guy said that God created man. Remember, he took the dirt and formed man and he did what into his nose? He poofed into his nose. He blew, blew into his nose. So this guy believed that for him to stir up the Holy Spirit, that he would go around, he'd blow on your belly and that when he blew on your belly, that was the text that he used to validate what he was doing, then the Holy Spirit would be stirred and you would know it. Okay? Anyway, he taught this, and then he went around this congregation, a group of people, probably about 300 people, and he blew on everybody's belly. Okay? And everybody told me it was a movement of God. The guy that I know said when he blew on his belly, I felt something. He said, I got very weak in my knees, and I was overcome with emotions, and all he did was puffed on my belly. Okay? 
Interesting thought, isn't it? How did he do that? Let me tell you something. The mystery religion that is spoken of um, literally shows up its first time in Genesis chapter 10. Okay? Noah's grandson. Do you understand what I just said? It's Noah's grandson. Noah, would we agree that Noah had an experience? Huh? Wouldn't you say that? I mean, Noah's like, okay. Noah had a son named Ham. Right? Do you understand how Ham was on the boat? Okay? He's on the boat. He went through it and cleaned the poop out the windows and all the other stuff that had to be taken care of. And I mean, well, maybe God made all the animals not poop. I don't know. But he took care of it and he was on the boat. They come out and he has a son. Okay? Ham does? Cush. Cush has a son. You know his name. As soon as I said, everybody will know his name. Nimrod. Nimrod is the first apostate after the flood. After the flood. Okay? Chapter 11 of Genesis, he decides that he's going to build a system to reach God. You know what you and I would call that today? Works-based theology. I can reach God. I can please God. And all the people of the planet, remember, could speak the same language. Nimrod comes up with this brilliant plan. We're going to build a tower and we're going to make it reach to God. And therefore, God's going to be just thrilled. Okay? Well, God's not thrilled. Why? Because they have moved from traditional worship to contemporary. They're going to worship their way. Okay? God gets furious about it. Doesn't he? Do you know where the Tower of Babel was built? Do you know the city? We're over there today. Babylon. Just a little west of Baghdad. Babylon still exists. Still exists. The ruins, I mean, you can go dig up ditches and, well, cool, old building, Babylon. All right? That's how it started. The mystery religion started in Genesis 10. But you know what? It's all the way through Scripture and it ends in Revelation 17. Revelation 17, 5. It says, Mystery Babylon the harlot. Okay? Now grab a hold of this. The mother of all true relationships to Jesus Christ is called the Bride of Christ. Okay? The bride of Christ. And she gives birth to all truth. Truth comes through where? The bride of Christ. But there's a counterfeit. And she is known as a harlot. And she manifests all False religions and all the seeds of false religions come out of Genesis 11. All the seeds of false religion come out of Genesis 11. You have a true bride, you have a harlot. I want to take you back to this negative side of this. Okay? Man's first organized, sophisticated, counterfeit relationship with God is the Tower of Babel. 
It was founded by Nimrod. Nimrod was an apostate. Grandson, please understand this, grandson of Noah. And Noah was a preacher of truth. Nimrod established the first sophisticated counterfeit religion. And every system since that time has been birthed from Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Every one. And I'll show you why. God scattered them, right? Remember he confused the languages? Do we remember? We all speak different languages. Okay, and he scattered them. And everybody who's scattered, you can see Gog and Magog are sent out. You see the Assyrians. You see, you see it all sent out to all the worlds. And they all have a language, but they all take parts of the Tower of Babel. Okay? And it's manifested in every single culture throughout history. And it, but some cultures, we like to complicate things. We make it more sophisticated. And yet, we can take it back. And you know this for a fact, that it will come to a culmination at the end of the age, and it will be known as Babylon the harlot. And it will all come back together, and the sophisticated systems that man comes together, will all bring it together. What are we calling everybody just can't we get along? Whether you're Muslim, Buddhist, Confucius, whatever you want to be. Let me show you how well it works. Nimrod had a wife. Okay, you have to go to Ezekiel for this. Samaramis was her name. Samaramis. I'll give you an idea. If you're single today, do not marry anybody named Samaramis. Okay. Samaramis, and I call her the first. Samaramis, there's other names. And she is the first high priestess of the harlot religion. Okay, now you've got to remember the names were confused, right? There's languages, right? Okay, in Assyria, she's known as Ishtar. To the Phoenician, it is Ashtar. Isis in Egypt, Aphrodite's to the Greek, and Venus to the Romans. Okay, each of those that I just gave you have a mindset of sexuality to them, sensuality. It plays on the senses, all right? Samaramis had a son, okay? Her son's name was Tammuz. You see him in Ezekiel, okay? According to legend that was taken out of the Tower of Babel, Tammuz was conceived by a sunbeam, to Shamaramis. Listen, Genesis 3.15 says that the seed of woman, you will bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. Okay? What's the, is, what's the big deal about that? That's virgin birth. The Bible always teaches the seed of man is the child. Except one time. The virgin birth. Now listen, you may not believe in the virgin, virgin birth. Satan did. And he counterfeited the virgin birth with Tammuz. And all the religions you see today that are not in Jesus Christ all come from Babylon. And that's where it's all going to conclude to. Okay? Satan believed this. He counterfeited this. All right? If you don't believe me, Phoenicia... Tammuz is called Baal. Okay? To the Egyptians, it's Osiris. To the Greeks, it's Eros. And to Rome, you know him. 
Tammuz, Cupid, virgin born, deity. And it always deals with sexual immorality. Remember Balaam? The king says, Balaam, I want you to go and I want you to put a curse on the Israelites. And what was Balaam's response? Are you stupid? No, that's paraphrased. Okay, no, that's God's people. I'm not going to put a curse on them because that's when I'm in a backfire. Okay, so what did he do? He told them how to worship Baal. You know what Baal has to do with, right? Sexual immorality. What happened to the country? It fell. It fell. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Let me tell you what they believe in. Okay? Let, let me give you another little insight into something here. Okay? Tammuz was killed by a boar. Did you know that? You know what a boar is, right? That's a preacher. No. He, Okay, Samaramis was so upset, was so tired over it, was so distraught over it, she grieved for 40 days. And Tammuz raised from the dead. Okay? Do you know that's what the basis of Lent is on? 40 days of Lent. How long was Jesus dead? Three. (laughs) Shorter fast. Okay, let me show you what they believe in. They believe in baptismal regeneration. You know what that is? The cleansing of your sin with water. All of these believe this, whether you're Egyptian, whether you're Greek, whether you're Roman. They believe in a sacrificial system, a substitutionary system for sins. Kill something in your stead. They believe in um, feasts and fasts. Actually, in in, in Corinth, in the time of the writing of this letter, there was a feast almost every day. Okay? Um, They believe in self-mutilization. Okay? Where you beat yourself from suffering. Uh, They literally had places that you crawl up and down the uh, stones on your knees, bare knee, so you bleed, and that would be atonement for your sins. Okay? They do that today in a place called the Vatican. They have a set of wooden stairs that supposedly were the stairs that led up to where Pontius Pilate judged Jesus, and you will see lines and lines and lines of people so they can crawl up on their hands and knees up the stairs so they can say that I walked the path of... Jesus. Self-mutilation comes from the false religions. Okay? They believed in pilgrimages. Go someplace. See something. Go be a part of something. They believed in public confession of sin. They believed in offerings to pay for your sin. To pay your debts. And all of those today are in Christianity. Every single one of them. They all come from Nimrod. Okay, these two words, ecstasy and enthusiasm. Ecstasy for the, for the Greek 
to, to understand this was I need to get into a place of semi-consciousness. I need to remove all thought processes. I need to remove everything that is going on in my life. The Dalai Lama, I seen an interview with him a few, a week or so ago, and he says that is reaching the place of clear. Okay. Where no, you have no effect. I've literally thought myself out of existence. Okay, you've seen the people, they seem to be in a trance. You ever seen the guys that lay on the nail beds? Okay, and that was what was taught. That was what you were supposed to do. I read a book by F. Angus called The Mystery Religion, and it says this, quote, to get into a condition where the personality becomes abnormal. Therefore, normal morality will easily be set aside, unquote. This is his study. He's not a Christian. He is a historian. Okay? Basically, it is to shift your brain into neutral. And yet, God says, I am to take how many thoughts captive? Which implies your what? Your thinking process. We looked at it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Renew your mind. God doesn't want you to shift your mind into neutral. He says, I give the sucker to you. Why don't you use it? But we shift out of mentally thinking about it and we shift into experience. I felt this. My emotions take over. Think about what love is. When we describe love, most of the time we have the same word. I love my dog, my grandma, and my wife. Now somebody in there is going to get insulted. Aren't they? You know, you don't ever tell me my I love you. My dog doesn't ever say that. But if you look at Corinthians 13, the chapter after this, what is on the board? Love is a verb. And it takes your time, it takes your sacrifice, it takes your talent. Okay, so <clears throat> we get into this euphoric semi-conscious um, and it is done in the mystery religions by incense is primary. Okay, uh, when I went to see uh, Golgotha in Jerusalem and then uh, the the tomb, it stinks. I mean, it's got an odor to it because everybody's got incense burning everywhere, and then they got candles everywhere. And I mean, you just walk in there and you think, man, what is? This? Put it out. All right, but you see incense, it's done through alcohol. There was the the, the temple of Bacchus in Corinth, and Bacchus was the god of wine and they like to get drunk and the drunker you got the closer you got with deity they did it with vigils they did it with fastings they did it with drugs okay um one of the things that carries through that you see across the board is what is called intense religious expectations that's what i think happened to my buddy he went and heard this guy, and this guy said, I'm going to do this. And you went in with what? Anticipation. I'm anticipating something going on. Last week I shared with you, if you go looking for experience, know this and know this emphatically, you'll get one. The question is, whose is it? It is done with dancing. It is done with physical stimuli. It is done with music. It is done with inhaling fumes. It is done with a thing they call group frenzies, which is I call like a mob Okay, um, and all of this is to induce ecstasy. Why? Because in this ecstasy, I now have communion with who? God. 
God. Why? Because I went with an expectation. I see it when the Buddhists talk about nirvana. I see it with Baal worship. I see it with Roman Catholicism. I see it in what you would call the charismatic movement, the experiential movement. But I also see the opposite of it in what I call the liturgicals, cold, dead orthodoxy. Holy Spirit, we don't want to talk about Him. Why? Because what if, what if He makes us stand up and raise our hands? Okay? What if He makes me sing happy? But I see that all the time. Listen, this is what they're dealing with here in Corinthians 12 is the same thing you and I need to pay close attention. I don't want you to be unaware with this. It's why? See, we get into an enthusiasm, an ecstasy, and it must be supernatural, right? Therefore, I must be connected to God. If it's supernatural, then I'm connected to God. I'm a Christian. So was the church in Corinth. So is the church in Corinth. But he makes a raw statement if you really look at it. And it says here, no one says Jesus is accursed. There were literally people using a language to say Jesus is accursed and claiming that God told them to say it. It's no different than things that I have heard in our day and age. There is also the side of it, that is the ecstasy side, there is the enthusiasm side. The enthusiasm side starts out with something that I call magic. Okay? You know what magic is, right? It's sleight of hand. I just seen something, it's got to be real. All right? But it is done with prophecies. Um, Soothsaying? I was reading an article, a little art document about the uh, Pontius Pilate and his record to the Roman Senate on the execution of Jesus Christ. And he talks that, um, that he had married a Gaelic woman. And I thought, huh, bummer. Okay, you know what Gaul is, right? French. I married a French woman. And she's nothing but trouble to me. Why? Because she can see visions and things all the time. Where did she learn to do that? I thought you could only do that. I thought, you know, that was like, remember when King Saul went to the witch of Endor and pulled Samuel up out of the ground? (laughs) Oh, Samuel, what's going on? I thought only God's people could do that. Really? There is revelation in dreams and visions. Have you heard this? Here's the phrase that you'll hear. God told me. Did he? Are you sure? Okay. What I just listed to you is the society that the Corinthian church was in. Do you see their confusion? If that is the society that you've been raised up in, what happens to you when you get saved? You bring it with you. And then God has to deal with it. Or the leadership that God puts in place. Or the Word of God deals with it, right? That you start realizing that some of the stuff that you believed, that you thought that you knew, 
Maybe it wasn't true. It wasn't true. Listen, if Satan, all the way back to Genesis 10, can counterfeit the virgin birth and counterfeit the resurrection, what else does he counterfeit? That was Corinth. Okay, now let me ask you a question. When you go to church or you go to Bible study or you go uh, to a, a religious function, do you go with expectations? Do you go and base your experience there on feelings? Okay, why? Church in Corinth did. Why? Their whole society was based on that. Okay? At salvation, you know, and I, and I look at all of us that are here today, all of us have come to salvation at different periods. Some of you, the magical age of eight. Some of you at the mystical age of 12. Um, it's everybody talk, I got saved when I was eight, and I got saved when I was 12, and I kept thinking, I don't even remember what I was doing when I was eight. And I know what I was doing when I was 12, and I wasn't worried about being saved. Okay? But we've all been saved at different times. Okay? Let me ask you a question. When you come to the worship of Jesus Christ, do you bring your society with you? Do you bring your expectations with you? In our Sunday school class, I want to close with these thoughts. Okay? This church was dealing with division. It was dealing with personality cults. It was de dealing with immorality in the church. It is being manifested. It was dealing with counterfeiting of the spiritual gifts. Okay? And if you look at all of it, it's all based on one underpinning. Throughout this whole book, both, actually both Corinthian letters, and it is about me. It's pride. And I want you to talk, I want you to think about that. That's arrogance. Right? Think about this. We say today that we have a contemporary worship, we have a blended worship, and we have a traditional worship. Right? You'll see that around, right? Let me ask you a question. Now just reason with me. Where is that in the Bible? Is that not the height of arrogance? Let me ask you this. We're, we're testing to see the importance here. When you have a traditional or a blended or a contemporary, does that unite the body or divide the body? You don't think this doesn't affect you? You sit there and you sit there. And, and you know what? I know, it's, you know, some of you say, well, Terry, why are you giving me all this history on all these religions? Well, let me ask you a question. Is it affecting you today? There's nothing new under the earth, but why don't we pay attention to what has already been laid before us? God said this, look, here's what it is. Warning, warning, the highway's out. And we're all sitting there going, yeah, I know, but I'm going anyway. If the Egyptians fell into it, the Phoenicians fell into it, the Greeks fell into it, the Romans fell into it, you won't. If 
the grandson of Noah can be the apostate, you can't. And yet I would be curious how many in this room today would say, I know what my gift is. Not only that, I'm exercising it in the power of Jesus Christ for the edification of the saints. Because if you're not, this is the negative side of what you're hearing. He has given us a supernatural ability. And here's what happens when we don't use it. Then you fall back into 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, where I started from. When you gather together, it's only for the worst. You are of no benefit together. So you see the importance of this text? Paul tells you and I from across history, I do not want you to be unaware. Why? Spiritual gifts are the supernatural abilities of the church. Spiritual gifts will be counterfeited to stop the work of the church. Guaranteed. I see it all the way across history. I can see it all the way back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. I see it to the conclusion of the age in Revelation 17.5 when Babylon the harlot will be dealt with. Do not think that you can use part of it and bring it into truth and make a pure truth. That's what Paul's warning you and I about. It's always been that way. It will be that day until the bride is removed and taken home for the wedding feast of the Lamb. We need to be aware. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for the amazing things that you continue to do on a, almost on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. Thank you for the time you've given us. Thank you for the amazing things you've given us. Father, I pray for these people. I pray for me, Lord, that we're not unaware. Father, that we understand a supernatural ability. Please help us. Help us bow before your divine will that we may be as Paul poured out his drink offerings. But Father, please also help us to not be deceived. Help us to know the counterfeit. Help us to know our enemy. And help us to be aware. Father, I praise you for your bride, the amazing things that she does. And yet, Lord, may we walk in the power that spoke existence into being. And may it be to your glory and praise. Amen.